watchers in the fourth dimension. I really thought I was going to be alone again. <laughs> Strangers are not welcome in these parts. I hold you both to be knaves and rogues and I'm highly suspicious intent. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And let me give him a taste of Thomas Tickler. Oh my. Well, we are back. And since we're all behind closed doors as the coronavirus crisis continues to rumble on, we're getting started with season four of Doctor Who as we venture into the far-flung land of Cornwall for an adventure with some pirates. Shout out to friend of the podcast and proud Cornishman Adam Spring. That's right. It's The Smugglers. This story was written by Brian Hayes, who had previously written The Celestial Toymaker. He'd been working on another historical story that was tentatively titled The Nazis, but script editor (laughs) Jerry Davies called him up and asked him to work on a rapid script for a high-adventure historical story. I don't know why they thought the Nazis wouldn't fit that brief. (laughs) Hales suggested the concept of piracy in the 17th century, and the rest is, quite sadly, history. This story was made as the final story of the third production block, and the knowledge that it would be held back to be the first story broadcast as part of season four. Quite why they thought that was a good idea, again, I don't know. To properly realise the script, they used the end of the production block to do the show's first major location shoot in Cornwall, sending the cast and crew out there for five days. It was during production of this story that producer Innes Lloyd and William Hartnell agreed that he should leave the show, he being William Hartnell, not Innes Lloyd. Hartnell's health had been getting worse over the course of filming season three, and he was struggling with the pace of change behind the scenes. He equally found it difficult to mesh with his new co-stars Annika Wills and Michael Craze. Thus, this was technically the last story where William Hartnell was officially the star of the show. He'll be back next time round, but he was technically contracted as a guest star. Helming the shoot was director Julia Smith, who was the second woman to direct the show. She had previously directed episodes of Swizzlewick and Compact, and she will return to the show later in season four to direct The Underwater Menace. But she is perhaps best known as being the creator of iconic British soap EastEnders, or EastEnders, for which she would act variously as director, producer, and writer. So she was a woman of many, many talents. One striking element of this story is the complete lack of music whatsoever. Evidently, the cost of shooting in Cornwall was so high they couldn't afford even any stock music. In the director's seat, we have Richard Hunt, who had previously worked on both Galaxy 4 and Mission to the Unknown. He'll return again for Season 6's The Invasion. And finally, as costumer... We have Daphne Dare in her final outing as sole costumer. She, I think as we have mentioned before, was the primary costumer during the William Hartnell era. She'll be back a couple more times to work alongside others, but this truly kind of feels like the end of an era. That's the behind the scenes information for this story. We will move into our short summary, which is in the hands of Riley. Our TARDIS crew finds themselves in the 17th century Cornwall. They are stuck because the TARDIS happened to park itself where the tide would take it. So this allows the crew to get involved with the most verbose pirates ye ever did see. Along the way, Ben and Polly do that voodoo they do so well, the doctor does some fortune telling, and everyone gets called Squire for some reason. Eventually, we have a fun Goonies-like treasure hunt that devolves into a loud shouting match between some pirates and some tax collectors. The end. Riley, I'm going to sum up everything you said in just four words. Pirates of the Caraboring. You evidently have a different definition of fun to the rest of us. (laughs) Let's talk about episode one. And I want to start with how awesome was that extended opening sequence? What's the best thing about this story? 
I like the doctor basically summing up the show to the new people, you know, where it's like, yeah, yeah, we go different places. I don't know how to control it. That's just how it works. It felt like that that exposition there felt like attempting a reboot or something. Like, do they feel like they were had to regain viewership or something? Or uh, it just felt really kind of weirdly shoehorned in. Well, it, it, beginning of the new season, two month gap. Ah, okay, there you go. Did they change time slots or something? I don't think so, but you know, lots had happened over that summer. England won the World Cup, for God's sake. No one cares about Doctor Who at this point in time, so they're just reintroducing the basics. We also seem to get Cranky Doctor again. Woo! Because he seemed very angry at first, and then I think once it settles in, he's like, oh wait, I thought I was going to be alone again. So I think he went from being very angry and cranky to being, well, you know what, it could be worse. I think he was ready for some alone time. <laughs> like all of us right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This story has a lot of like weird little references to that first season. Once they go on shore for a bit, they can't go back to the TARDIS because the tide has come in. So they're physically removed from it, just like they were for most of season one. It's exactly what happened with the one from, uh, okay, I can't remember the title, but you're 1066. It's that one. Yeah, I was reminded heavily of that too, only without the monk. Which would have been an improvement. Yes. <laughs> Before we go much further, just the, the standard question. Obviously, this one is entirely missing. Everyone had the option of either the reconstruction or the narrated audio. Who did what? You know me, always a reconstruction. I did the reconstruction as well. Julie? I did the reconstruction. I thought that maybe if I went over to the audio, that might be better, but I just couldn't bring myself to do that again. Fair. So we all did the reconstruction for this one. Also, very, very early on, we start getting references to Captain Avery. And I'm going to do a shout out for the new series where they do the most bizarre prequel slash sequel to this in bringing back Captain Avery as uh, one of the various friends of Matt Smith's Doctor in The Curse of the Black Spot. Hmm. Played by Hugh Bonneville. So this gets a reference, but we still don't get any Vord. <laughs> right. Go figure. Or any more sex pants. You know. Anyone thought it was interesting how much Polly really, really enjoyed the beach? I can't say I found anything about this story particularly interesting, Riley. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. As I sit here, you talk about how she liked the beach, and I'm just sitting here, I'm like, well, we saw a shirtless Ben, so I guess that's nice. <laughs> there were multiple shirtless people. There, and we'll get to some other stuff later, but yeah, multiple chests and shirtless men. Mainly pirate yeah. stuff. Evidently, Julie has been locked behind closed doors for <laughs> two days too many because the thirst is real. <laughs> Generated by a lost episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> That's how desperate we've become. <laughs> the era of the coronavirus, guys. Uh, dark, dark days. While Julie was busy enjoying the topless men, did anyone else think that maybe this might have been a bit better with, I don't know, some music or even just some basic percussion at Something. some point? Would have added atmosphere. It took me a little while to really realize that that was an issue. And then I was like, oh, this is why this is terrible. And, and the other thing to consider is that because of how like this particular uh, time period and location you couldn't just plug in any of the other stock music necessarily. I don't know if anything else would have fit. I mean, the BBC had a ton of stock music that they could yeah. use. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the BBC. <laughs> Historicals are what they do. Historical uh, uh, sea shanties. Uh, sea shanties would be everywhere in the BBC. Yeah. 
Or just the sound of a dinghy just in the background or something. Maybe have a pirate lady singing a sea shanty throughout the serial. <laughs> that narrates about all the things that happen yes. in the serial. I mean, it would that have made that... on 10 minutes too long. <laughs> it would have made this slightly better. Yeah. It, it really would have. And that I would have understood more of what was going on. So we start meeting some of the characters, the church warden and... and cherub and the innkeeper and i just didn't care <laughs> yeah we get a, a flip on one of our standard tropes where this time nobody trusts them no one at all yeah except what, what was his name longfoot longfoot he, yeah. tr he oddly trusts the doctor with his greatest secret right after meeting him well, i mean part of it was wasn't he the one that doc the doctor reset his finger yep yeah so, but like, still it's like the it's like the lion with a thorn in his paw yeah. Also, Longfoot is uh, that guy has got some problems saying goodbye. I swear he like <laughs> he's Columbo. Took him, like yeah, so I'm like <laughs> he is Columbo. So I'm like so many times to get through. I'm like, what is happening here? You live uh, in the South. You should understand this by now. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't have time for it. Too much time living in New York. This episode ends mercifully. It ends mercifully <laughs> <laughs> with the worst cliffhanger ever of one of the pirates turning and saying. He'll talk to me, or my name's not Samuel Pike. I'm like, uh, I, that's, I was that's, like, am, I probably made that sound more like Lord Flashheart than necessary, but that would have been much better. <laughs> I keep thinking of that joke from Blazing Saddles of like, you know, history will remember the name Headley Lamar. You know, like, <laughs> were we supposed to know his name? I looked him up, and I'm like, nope, this is not a historical character. So I don't know why we were giving like this big cliffhanger to a character that either we would not know from history or was not set up fully on the show. One thing I, I do love is we have Captain Pike here. This was broadcast two days after Star Trek received its US premiere on NBC TV. Now, that <laughs> wasn't the cage. You mm -hmm. wouldn't have had Captain Pike, but I feel like there's a, yeah. a nice little synergy there. But you think if this Captain Pike sat in a chair and communicated through beeps and flashes, it would have at least been interesting. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't have been worse. <sighs> oh, man, that's 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 a twist. A uh, futuristic uh, man in a space wheelchair who cannot speak but beeps and flashes happens to go back in time and becomes a captain. You know, captain's a pirate ship. That sounds like a Douglas Adams script. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like a Douglas Adams script. Yeah, I would watch that. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so episode two. We can't let it pass the murdering pirate from episode one, who also is just throughout the entire series. Am I right? His name is Cherub? Yes. Like the yes. angel? Yes. Yes. Interesting choice. Like a fat little baby angel. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yep. So it's like, is that like a kind of a ironic name, like calling a really big, really guy tiny or something? I, I don't know. I didn't really catch why I'm like, what is this? One thing I will say about that is we occasionally get flashes of motion normally when Cherub is killing someone, and that's because various sensors across the world, I'm not sure whether it was Australia or one of the African countries, cut the episode because for, for violence. And they, for some reason, kept the, the sensor clips. So they were eventually rediscovered. So we have these little moments where Cherub kills people because of the sensors of another country. Oh, <laughs> Okay, I was going to comment on that. We did miss one. They didn't have the um, last death scene. That was yes. the only one we were missing. What I didn't like is after that first episode, it's okay, we're going to split the doctor from the companions and they're not going to interact for like the next two episodes. Yeah. I mean, I know they, they were in talks 
about him leaving the show, but it just seemed weird to have them come in and just not interact at all. They also used one of my least favorite tropes, which is that they thought Polly was a lad. Oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah, like the, at least with the because like it reminded me a little bit of the Vicky one, but that was actually they actively were trying to convince people that she was a, a boy to, for safety concerns and things like that, which I can understand a little bit more. But just the, oh, you're wearing pants, so you must be a guy. Oh, yeah. Please. And they didn't even put a hat on her head to like hide her hair or anything. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of of Ben and Polly, though, <laughs> I did love their little escape attempt using the superstitions at the time. Very, very smart. Something that the doctor would do. Well, he did later on with basically yeah. a tarot reading. There's a little, little undercurrent of superstition going on there. Yeah, which kind of makes sense of things that I've read with pirates and things like that. It, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility, especially with, you know, like they had the whole thing about women being on ships and things like that. So not surprised they're a superstitious lot. Well, isn't it like the final line or one of the final lines by the doctor in this episode? And he said it, like he, it was so strange. He just like it felt like he was doing like a moral lesson at the end of the whole thing. I can't remember what he says, but it was it was like right right at the end. And it was just seemed really. Ah, there it is. He says. Yes, superstition is a strange thing, my dear, but sometimes it tells the truth. I'm just like, okay, that just seems kind of a random thing to put at the end where it seemed like it was a theme throughout the entire serial. They were implying that as a theme, but it wasn't very well developed. Not much was. But this is also <laughs> a, a serial where our essential hero character is a tax man, though. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that seemed odd to me. Like, I could understand... The smugglers don't want to be, you know, don't want to get caught with all that money and tax and blah, blah, blah. But what I didn't understand is why the tax man was the one actually actively going after them. I would have anticipated that some sort of military police force would have actually done the attack. I don't think there really was a police force at this time. Well, then a military force, because there's definitely a military. Or just the Navy, because, I mean, wasn't that like part of their job? But... We can discuss 17th century uh, British maritime <laughs> policy all day long. We could just switch to that. But uh, but how about that? It'd time? be more interesting and I would know more about it. <laughs> Did anyone also catch that Cherub in this episode, episode dude, ref refers to Mexican Indians? Yeah. Is he talking about Aztecs? Am I, it's what I think. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I've, I heard that. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? I think he must have been because John Ringham, who was Blake in this, Played to Loxdal in the Aztecs. <gasps> oh, it's John oh my goodness! Oh, that's more. That was you telling us that was more exciting than the entire He's serial. So understated in this, and everyone else yes. was overacting their little hearts out. So that's good. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the tax guy. Wow. I love how you you have you bring that to the table, and I will just sit here and say to continue on my little rant about uh, seeing chess. We saw Pike's chest and Jamaica's chest. We're just racking up those points right there. More and more chests. So, what what you're saying is we 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 saw plenty of pirates treasure chests. Uh... Sorry. <laughs> <sighs> I've been going stir crazy. Okay. <sighs> I'm so sorry. I would like to hi highlight in this episode that the doctor drinks alcohol. 
Yes, I did notice that as well. He's, he's buttering up Pike. And he knew what it was, Madeira. Like, wow, buddy. Yeah, he's an experienced drinker. <laughs> Is this the first time we have seen him drink on screen? He's had mead. Yes, that's true. He did? Yeah, back in, back in the same episode where the meddling monk showed up. Oh, okay. Yeah. God. I know. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Guys, this it's been a it's been a while. Oh yeah, yeah. Episode three. I did enjoy Ben and Polly being described as vagabonds. Yeah, they they were they're de- they're starting to develop a rapport, like a little bit of chemistry there. I think a lot better than with the war machines. I think so too. They're trying to figure out who their characters are, and it's nice to see them bounce things off each other. They're doing the same thing in the, the crypts of the first episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're working better together than. Steven and Dodo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. This is the episode where at one point in my notes I've just written, this is so dull. <laughs> oh, that was last episode for me. Because <laughs> it, it all boils down, it's that stereotypical story. It's the, you have the the magistrate who is being bought off by these smugglers. And so they're all trying to cash in on something and they're trying to find some treasure. And they think that the only way to do it is to go through the doctor. And so he's just playing his game and it's just like, all right, how many times do we have to go through this same old story again? This whole serial didn't feel like a season opener. It felt like some mid-season filler. Yeah, it, it would be mid-season because like, it wouldn't work as an ending and it wouldn't work as an opener. Because like, at, at first it was going to be the end of season three. I'm like, thank God it wasn't. Which is part of what makes it so weird and you get all that stuff at the beginning that reintroduces the concepts of the show as if it is a season opener, which it is, and then it just doesn't play out like one. Well, when did they make the decision to make it the season opener? Because... Oh, it was always planned to be. They just filmed it at the end of the previous season to give themselves a bit of a buffer. Yeah. Okay. Then, yeah, it was probably just written like, they were probably like, oh, well... Maybe they'll need a reminder. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I thought the entire point of the serial was to see how many pirate-style insults they could fit in into, like, you know, an hour and 40 minutes. Well, that might have been the writer's intent. (laughs) They weren't good insults. Yeah. Do you have a count, Riley? Yeah, I would feel a safe estimate would be at least 15, um, maybe breaking into the 20s. I sat here and counted chests, and you couldn't count insults? How dare you? Because that'll that'll make this more interesting by adding more math. The chests were more striking than the insults. So Jamaica died. That was sad, right? Yeah, Jamaica yes. died, and he died in the our you know our classic kids in the hallway. Yeah, you know, yeah. can't can't go an ep- can't go a serial without that. So I got to a point, and I I asked the question right before the doctor explained. It was like, why don't they just leave? They should just leave. There's nothing here. And then the doctor's like, oh, I have this moral obligation to this village. And I was like, no, no, they're not local. There's nothing for them here. They should have just left. Yeah, like, <laughs> you haven't met anyone from this village. Maybe like the innkeeper, but that's it. That wasn't any help. And the innkeeper was kind of a dick. Everyone too, so. was. Right? I think yeah. the jailer was probably just the nicest person to them, really, because he didn't care. Yeah. 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 So I just sat there and I'm like. What moral obligation do you have? There is none. Just leave. Just wait for the tide to go back out, get into the TARDIS, and get out of there. Well, the Doctor's obviously decided that he is local for this story, Uh... unfortunately. Normally I'm the one who's actually trying to stretch the conversation out, but can we move on to episode four? 
Sure. Yes. Sure. <laughs> Let's just... I'm so done. So one thing I did notice here was the location work was probably really stunning. And it's a shame that we can't see any of it. Agreed. I think that's one thing that probably did work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, it really is a shame. It would have made it a lot more bearable. I recognize enough of it to recognize it as Cornwall. So I'm like, all right, they they included some of like the more scenic, recognizable shots. So I was like, okay, that's nice. And this episode also had a lot of action. I feel like we've been lucky with some of the stories we have had survived from season three, where we have still got a lot of the action. I'm thinking the war machines and the gunfighters in particular. And, and then here, there's a lot of action. It's probably well directed, but I don't know. This story loses something in us not being able to see the action, but I, I don't know, maybe even seeing it wouldn't have saved this. I think it would have helped, but that doesn't mean that it had to save it. It definitely would have helped because they went to all the trouble and expense of shooting on location. So I'm, I'm sure it looked good. Oh, what can you do? Okay, so they're, they're trying to solve the riddle of where they buried the treasure. There's that pike randomly appears with a Spaniard. Because why not throw a Spaniard in and specifically call him out as a Spaniard? They did the same thing to Jamaica. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't think he really listens when people tell them their names. That's not nice. Well, I mean, there's names like Gaptooth, and that's not really a, a name. No, his name is Dave, and Pike couldn't be bothered to learn it. <laughs> what an ass. <sighs> I think oh, we learn in this episode, I mean, right at the very end, that... Is it just me? But I feel like Cherub was seen more of the true villainous character than Pike. Oh, absolutely. We had been killing people all serial, so that helps. I just think that was a nice little change up of like our villainous characters actually really just not nearly as bad as just one of the henchmen. It's, it's, it's something. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pull whatever I can get out of this. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> just like the score of the serial. <clears throat> nothing. <laughs> I'll have you know the score was written by John Cage. <laughs> and it's called one hour and 40 minutes. No, it was the doctor. The doctor was our... <laughs> it was all him. So I like one thing where I thought that they were going to make Polly a damsel in distress, and they almost kind of did, but then she ends up helping Ben out. So I'm like, all right, well, at least we get that. Yeah, you're talking about those final two pirate guys on the beach? Yes. That was nice. That was something... I'm, I must admit, during the portion where she hurt her foot, I was waiting for someone to put a wet cloth on it. <laughs> right, on, right on the beach. There you there go. go. Actual seawater isn't effective. It has to be dirty tanks water. <laughs> it has healing, magical healing Preferably problems. the Dalek has been soaking in for at least an hour. Mm. <laughs> I've been rowing in the Thames. I have capsized in the Thames, and that water is nasty as hell do not Ooh. recommend do you think it's getting better like the waters of venice are getting better right now probably i hope so yeah. but yeah it's pretty gross maybe it does have magical healing properties anyway moving on so people fight die and then then we leave yeah they're, they're my favorite moments of the entire story happens <laughs> the closing credits they leave ben is like oh man like i need to get back and the doctor's like huh yeah, that's not going to happen. I don't think Ben quite understands the concept of a time machine where you can actually return before you left. Well, if the doctor knows how to steer the well, damn thing. 
I found that the final battle was a lot more enjoyable in my mind when I couldn't see it, but I knew it was pirates versus a, a bunch of taxmen. I kept thinking of the scene in Mon- Monty Python's Meaning of Life, the Crimson Permanent Assurance. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, like, just imagine, like, just seeing, like, businessmen fighting and, and with pirates, and that was just wonderful. Man, I do wish we could see that. They should just plug that in for the ending and the reconstruction. <laughs> Just take the fight scenes from that. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's all BBC, right? It's fine. And so we end, not after it's time, with landing somewhere that's very cold. <laughs> the coldest place in, in the world. world. Yes. Was it the first time when the TARDIS was actually in full operating condition where the inside is the same temperature as the outside? We had something like that in Marco Polo, but there was a, a piece of the TARDIS that had been removed, so it wasn't really on Right, right. The way I look at it, this is maybe me headcanoning a little bit. Since they called it the coldest place in the world, I don't think the inside of the TARDIS is as cold as it is outside, but is cold because it is so cold. I'll buy it. That's my headcanon. Works for me. That just brings us about to the end of our discussion on the story. So, metrics. There's really only one, and that would be the camp count, and that's a squire, in my opinion. A one for the squire? Sure. And then scores. Don, you get to start this time round. Oh, lucky me. (laughs) This serial actually combines some of my favorite things from my youth. You've got pirates, treasure, secret passageways, cryptic riddles. It's a Hardy Boys story. And somehow it takes all those elements and makes them extremely boring. And that hurt. I think it would be better if we could actually see visually what's going on. Just audio-wise, it's really talky. There's no music. Usually, I try to be fair and and grade things on, okay, how well did they execute this idea? And right now, I, I can't. So going almost by just how much I enjoyed it, and this is me being generous, I'm going to have to go with three mysterious crypt-based riddles out of ten. All right. Julie. Oof. Oh, boy. Very, very similar. Of what shots you could see, it was probably great to be on location. But with the no music, very poorly developed plot line and the very boring way it trudged, even if we could see it visually, it might have looked nice. But just because it looked nice, it's still boring. But I'll also be generous because I can't, again, necessarily vote it on, you know, not being able to to see all the fight sequences. I'll give it three pirate chests out of ten. Okay. Riley, over to you. Wow, it's been brutal over here. I also did not enjoy it. I don't think I necessarily uh, disliked it as much as everyone else did, but I'm not necessarily saying that it's good. I keep thinking that maybe based off of the lightness of anything really interesting going on in the story combined with their shooting on location combined the you know the first episode for two new companions the first true like episode for two new companions the way it kind of felt like a reboot due to the exposition i think that this might be one of those serials that loses so much in the fact that it it's missing and that was just a reconstruction that I, that maybe what they were trying to do was trying to use spectacle to hide a not well-made story, even though it had potential on based on what Don was saying, which, yeah, I mean, how do you make treasure, you know, hidden treasure chests with riddles and, you know, stuff like that? How do you make that boring? That alone, like, why wasn't that the constant driving force from the very, very beginning instead of like this drudgery we go through for the, first, you know, the middle two episodes? 
yeah, it has a lot of problems, but um, there's maybe like one scene per episode that makes it worth watching. So uh, I can't bury it uh, as much as everyone else. So I will give it uh, five sawbones out of ten. Okay, and that brings us to to me. I love Doctor Who. I always have. This has been my favorite show for twenty five years, possibly a little longer at this point. I'm I'm in my early thirties. I've seen all of the show before. I know I'm the only one of the four of us who has. And this is probably the story that I have thought about the least. And this did nothing but remind me of why. I think, Riley, you're probably right. It probably looked great. It was probably well-directed. It probably had a lot of spectacle, but we don't have that. I don't think I can really sit and make assumptions on what it might have been like. The fact is... This one, as we can experience it right now, commits what is probably the worst crime Doctor Who can commit for me, and that is that it's boring. I really struggled with this one, and so for me, this is going to be two disappointingly lost episodes out of ten. Yeah, did not enjoy this at all. It was a chore for me to watch it. So with that out of the way, we'll say goodbye to the smugglers. We will be back next time when we're off to the South Pole where some small changes are coming to the show, but it's far from being all over. In the meantime, all of our previous episodes are available on your favorite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watches4D. And as a reminder, you can email us at Watches4D at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcasting app. All three of those things really do help the show. But for now, thank you very much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Pirates of Caraboring, was recorded on Wednesday the 18th of March 2020. And always remember, it doesn't matter how visually stunning your TV show is, if it's actually boring in every single other way, and the company that you made it for then decides to completely wipe the episodes, leaving only the soundtrack.